Hey guys, welcome to A Plan for That podcast with Erin and Vince. Each week we're going to be giving you our two cents on the crazy news cycle, interviewing progressive activists and leaders so that we can organize each and every day to bring big structural change in America, just like our favorite Senator Elizabeth Warren. I'm Erin, a recently activated lightning bolt of energy that demands action, and I bring the crowd with me. Hey everyone, I'm Vince. I'm a progressive political activist who works on the fringes of the establishment out here in the Rocky Mountain West. I'm a recovering newspaper journalist. I'm really excited to put all of my experiences working covering the legislative process and then actually participating in it, writing policy and influencing public opinion to help with anybody like Aaron who has the energy to get the job done and to continue this fight after November's election. Uh, We are definitely taking our lead from Senator Warren and we're coming up with some plans to push forward and we're going to need your help to get this done (sighs) and your help to unpack what's going on around us in the world, which I can't even keep track of. Aaron, what is up this week? This week's news cycle, I don't know about you, but for me it went so fast my head is still spinning and we haven't even touched on the DNC convention while the RNC convention is currently underway. My thoughts on the DNC are short and simple. While I really appreciated the production values and seeing America for all of its different colors, voices, and changes, I felt a little closed out as a progressive voter and someone that's looking for my progressive leaders to have a voice in the convention itself. Giving AOC only 60 seconds to talk just seems like a slap in the face, and I've been seeing a lot of this reverberating around social media. What's your take, Vince? You know, it's along a lot of the same lines as yours, for sure. I mean, I, w- I went into it expecting, I mean, looking at the speakers list, I was ready for, for, for the, the Democrats to continue their current retreat back to compassionate conservatism. They're really trying to woo the right, and I'm concerned that they're kind of going to do it at the, at the expense of the left that, uh, you know, the big tent party still, still encompasses. Um, do, I, do I think that it was strategically bad? No, because, I mean... The people who were watching the convention were probably largely those uh, those Obama, Trump swing voters who haven't made up their mind yet. And I do think the convention would have convinced them to feel good about voting for Biden. But is it is it is it going to be worth alienating the left to to win some of the rights votes when it comes down to 80,000 votes between Michigan, Pennsylvania? Those. Yes, it is going to matter. It is going to make the difference in this election. But it is what we're going to be talking about on this podcast a lot, like a lot, a lot. What does the progressive left do moving forward in a Democratic Party of compassionate conservatism? Yes, and to tag off that, I would say just as an editorial that I'm kind of tired of hearing about the elusive Obama-Trump voter. There were literally thousands of articles done in major media about how to swing this person back to the Democratic Party. And instead of putting all of our energy there, I would rather talk about like the 50% of the youth population that didn't even show up and why they may not have shown up. Um, Do I think that it's terrible that they didn't vote in 2016? Yes. But let's incentivize them too. Um, Let's remember that they are people and their needs are also important. And to tag on to that, the needs of the left are actually everyone's needs. 
Um, I mean, can we just talk about the fact that we're sitting in a pandemic right now where people have lost their jobs and those jobs by large part are not coming back. I speak to you as a former entrepreneur who lost her own massage business due to this pandemic. And no, we are not reopening until there's a vaccine. Otherwise, it will be an open close, open close kind of circus that nobody wants to be a part of. There's just there's so much in there that I definitely want to hit on. The pandemic is what I want to especially with the RNC going on right now. The the pandemic is front and center in everything that we're talking about and everything that we're doing. And I do want to, while we're knocking a little bit of, of, of the substance of the DNC, I want to acknowledge that we're able to really be nitpicky about it because they kicked so much butt with the event. It was beautiful. I, I cried during a couple of the speeches and I've literally gone back and I've rewatched the roll call a, a couple of times because that vote just like seeing all of our states, seeing all of our territories, seeing all of our people just inspired me and reminded me what we're really pushing for over the next 70 odd days. And, and, and then I'm contrasting that against the Republicans who rushed their roll call vote out in the very first day. And then it was just, white face too close to the camera in front of a step and repeat it just felt like i was facetiming grandpa and i'm like cool that is definitely the uh the the um the america that i'm trying to leave behind so the call to the youth to the youth youthful side of the democratic party who were not watching the conventions anyways i think definitely comes in grabbing onto those two contrasts and just pushing it out into every content channel that we can think of because that right there definitely illustrated in itself uh, just like the key differences between the Republican and the Democratic plans right now. Absolutely. I, I second the motion. Um, the other thing that I would say to our disaffected youth voters who I do empathize with is we don't have a chance for anything with this current um, really scary and authoritarian uh, regime that's been put into power here. So even if, you know, Biden isn't your first choice, your second choice, your third choice, and so on, he's your only choice in order to get anything done. Um, so we do need to make sure that we get that vote out and, and, and excite and inspire people to go to the polls. And the way that I see that happening, Vince, is not only are we voting for Biden, but we really need to bring the fire up and down the ballot with all of these progressive candidates that are running. And I'm super excited about our new show because we intend to spotlight those candidates and give them the voice that they need. And I, I, another really beautiful thing about Biden being the candidate that in a, in a time that everybody's inspired to, 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 to answer the call to action, but they're kind of searching for it right now, is that we need, we need the Senate and we need to win more seats in the House. We need to continue to grow our majority, especially since for the long term here, it seems we've lost the court, y'all. So we really need to care about every down ballot ticket. And everybody who's, who's, who's energetic and passionate can kind, of, can kind of go put their more progressive values to work in some down ballot race um, here in Colorado, I was finding a lot of uh, a lot of success during the primaries uh, for governor uh, for Senate here uh, in a couple of different candidates. Dr. Stephanie Rose Spalding and Andrew Romanoff were the progressive options here in Colorado. They both lost the primary to uh, John Hickenlooper, of course, our former governor who's now running. But people who don't necessarily want to go organize for Biden, there's there's reason to go organize for John Hickenlooper right now because. You're right. Joe is the Joe and Kamala are the ticket right now to go vote for. But this show is all about looking forward to two, uh, 2021 and how progressives can feel good about casting that ballot and getting to work to build a better future for ourselves. 
That's exactly right. And with this army of progressives that we're talking about, that's the people who put the bills on the desk. Let's not all forget that, yes, Joe and Kamala will be the ticket, but the people that put the bills on the desk to get passed are the ones that are the ones that have the voice of the people. So in addition to looking at the Senate, which I think we all learned exactly how much destruction can occur when the Senate doesn't care about laws or enforcing so them. So true. And you know what? Before we move past the Senate, I just, you know, this is a point that I'm going to circle back to a lot here is, hey, everybody, don't let Elizabeth Warren leave the Senate. Right. Senate Majority Leader or nothing. Senator That's right. Warren for Senate Majority Leader. I, I was set, right, back to you. I was setting you up for that. I don't know if you knew that, but I was setting you up for that. I was I was uh, <laughs> trying to explain how the Senate is everything, and we see what happens when the Senate doesn't function. Um, and so in addition to making sure that the Senate goes blue, I think we all know that there's a very powerful voice in the Senate. And then I was going to say, what do you think I'm talking about, Vince? I'm a broken record on this one. I believe in it so much. Every time that I see somebody say that Elizabeth Warren needs to be Secretary of X or Secretary of Y, I, I stare at them in disbelief because I'm like, you know what? There's nine other people who are perfectly qualified for that position. Do you know who else is qualified to be Senator Warren, though? Nobody. We need that voice in the upper part of Congress so badly. We do. We cannot let her be stolen into a job she can be fired from. She cannot be stolen into the into the cabinet. She needs to stay in the Senate where she belongs. You are so right, Vince. In fact, if anybody has found me out on Twitter, um, they will see me posting updates of what the senator is taking on. And can we just say? She is the one-woman anti-corruption taking on this entire administration machine. Just today alone, she now has taken on DeJoy, the board of the Postmaster General, the Trump EPA, the Trump FDA, and the vaccine-slash-corruption scheme called Warp Speed. It is almost like she's the leader that we need in the Senate. <laughs> It, it feels like that. And you know what? Her staff is also working hard. We're recording this in the afternoon on a, on a Tuesday here. And I just got an email from, from, from the senator's uh, email list with all of her latest endorsements to make sure that she's still organizing for all the down ticket ballots. What perfect timing, in fact, since we're going to be touching on all of those at the end of this episode, everybody. Absolutely. She's an unstoppable force. And I can't see her in any position where she could be easily fired. So I'm going to have to join my buddy Vince here and say, Senate Majority Leader or nothing, okay? So the question there is, is if we're not going to let her go into the cabinet and we're, we're, we're going to concede the presidency to, to the more centrist Biden-Kamala campaign and, and, and get to work to put progressive policy on their desk for the next four years from Senator Warren's hands, what's the plan for the progressive left, though? Are we, uh, are we planning the... I mean, just because I really want to, this is our first episode, I want to look ahead really aggressively and spend the next, like today, and then spend the next to the uh, few episodes really individually unpacking them. So 2021 hits, Inauguration Day in January. Are we going to start primarying somebody in the Democratic Party immediately, or are we going to attend the People's Party um, kickoff campaign? Like, what are, what, are, what are just our thoughts on this right now? I so appreciate your uh, perspective on this, Vince, because, of course, you know, me and my emotion uh, respond immediately with primarying and primarying for progressives even sounds good, right? It sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> but you have so many good questions. And I know that people out there in social media land and other um, areas are kind of echoing this whole 
um, idea as well. We have some upcoming guests that tend more towards after the election so that we can talk about uh, what they see as the future. And boy, is progressive a huge umbrella. One of our upcoming guests is actually a former conservative Republican that has moved into the progressive wing because of the want for change and the want for action. So when we say, quote unquote, the left, you really don't even know who we're talking about. It could be anyone. All of these people are responding to the needs that we have in this country to stop having it work only for the wealthy and connected. It's been happening a long time. And as the senator so rightly says, Donald Trump is just the latest disease or or just the latest symptom of the ongoing disease. One of the one of the common lines that I that I hear when I'm organizing amongst them is the disenfranchisement to vote. They don't want to participate because they don't feel like their voices are heard, but they are a member of a political organization. They are they're doing things to participate in the in the process, but they they've been disenfranchised by the party ignoring their side of the their side of the political coin for so long that they don't even think that voting inside of the party will uh will matter anymore. And so it's, it's part of the conversation that I'm, that I'm, just, I'm looking forward to the guest way down the line, um, who is a, a New Deal Democrat, who, who does advocate for uh, starting a new party um, in, uh, in, in contrast to the Democratic Party to kind of re-enfranchise these voters. It's just, it's, it's something that I'm looking very forward to unpacking a lot over the next few weeks as, as I make up my mind on how I feel of, uh, about it as a you know, 13-year, 14-year happy veteran of the Democratic Party until, until now. Yeah, absolutely, Vince. And he, fun fact, that's the former Republican we're talking about. So, you know, the gloves are off. It's it's about change and who's going to bring it, right? Just want to cue our listeners into some of the awesome conversations that we've been having is we have a lot of power in non-presidential years, don't we, Vince? Can you tell us a little about that? So as a little bit of a biography thing, uh, I, uh, one of the very earliest uh, political campaigns in, in Colorado that I got involved in after I left uh, journalism and I was able to really aggressively be out there on the streets was, uh, was uh, um, an insurrection uh, mayoral campaign in a very off-ballot 2019 um, to, to, to run a down, down, down ballot race progressive in a non-presidential year. Um, but it was also coinciding with running um, a woman named Candy C. DeBaca for our city council race here in, in Denver. Um, and, and, and her and Dr. Lisa Calderon, the mayoral candidate, were, were running kind of in tandem with each other, although their campaigns weren't really coordinating. And, uh, and, but they were definitely sharing volunteers and efforts. Um, Lisa's campaign for mayor was against an establishment very, uh, very, like if you think of the Joe Biden Democratic Party, the Mayor Mike Hancock here in uh, in Colorado, definitely in Denver, definitely fits the mold. So it was that progressive, loud voice against establishment Democrat in 2019, and uh, and we ended up losing that mayoral race. It was it was pretty brutal. It was pretty. It, I mean, it was a hard fought one, but we did win Candy C. DeBaca's seat on the uh, on the largest, most powerful, unquote unquote, um, district here in Denver, and since. We had won that seat. Candy was actually, she, she's introduced uh, all of the um, legislation on behalf of the Black Lives Matters movement here in Denver to, um, to defund or even to totally abolish and replace the Denver Police Department. And she's really the one who's leading the progressive introduction of, uh, of, 
of, of legislation. And so we still have a voice in our elected government, even though we didn't win the executive seat, the seat in our Congress, because that's the metaphor we're pulling here, is, is doing so much good for the progressive left here in Denver. That is so good to hear. And it's so key to remind our listeners um, if they're feeling like they don't have a voice, like you had mentioned, the only way to make sure that you don't have a voice, I mean, without a 100% guarantee is to not vote. So even if it's not your candidate that's been picked, even if it's not your favorite on the ticket, even if it's a candidate that might be a little bit of a compromise in the Senate on your progressive views, um, the Senate is just too important to sit it out. The president's the presidency ticket is too important to sit it out. And these lower races down the ballot that no one hears about on TV are key, absolute key. Um, For instance, some of the down ballot races uh, make up the legislature. And we all saw what the legislature in places like Wisconsin can do when trying to make people put their lives at risk in trying to vote. It is so powerful. And and something that just very regularly, and I'm happy to be to be hearing this more and more as, as, as I'm organizing Democrats and and people who have historically been Democrats uh, in this in this case. Um, I'm I'm hearing the rhetoric line of oh so you're finally starting to care about these races and 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 it's kind of nice because the party has ignored so many of the down ballot races that it's 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 time the the party wants to put money behind it. The, there's energy for it at every level. And so if it's progressive voices, if it's Cori Bush in Missouri, if it's AOC in New York, if it's, if it's anybody on, if it's, if it's Senator Warren, uh, or if it's Julian Castro running for president in 2024, Julian run for president in 2024, um, like it's, it's going to be every ticket, every race, us being able to push our message is going to be so valuable. Absolutely, Vince. If there's one thing I'll give Donald Trump, as much as you know privately how I detest and loathe him, it's that he's awakened the country to the point of the the fight for our lives, the fight for democracy, um, finally opened people's eyes, such as myself and probably a lot of other listeners out there, that yes, every race matters, every election matters, and every tiny little thing that you've seen on the ballot where it says no contestant or um, GOP only, we're all awake now. We all know that we can run in every race. The Democratic Party needs to take back the power and the progressives need to bring the action. And I'm here for it. I am too. And I'm really excited. We're, uh, we're going to take a break real quick. But when we come back, we're going to talk to another progressive activist who went absolutely all in on this idea, quit their job in the middle of a quit their well-paying, maintained job in the middle of a pandemic to go live his dream and really push progressive voices in any ballot race along the California and Pacific Northwest coast. I'm inspired. Can't wait. Ilhan Omar will be the first Somali-American and the first woman of color from Minnesota in the House of Representatives. Every progress this country ever achieved came about because people were willing to do something to make that progress happen. So I knew early on that if I wanted a different kind of neighborhood, a different kind of city and a state and a country, I had to be part of doing that. Representative Ilhan Omar of a really great state. This is not going to be the country of the xenophobics. What we are fighting for is not for the few, but for the many. When I said I was 
the hope of the United States is because I embody what that hope should look like. Alright, welcome back. We are going to do our first ever guest here on A Plan For That. And I am very, very excited to welcome them on. Coleco Castile is the CEO and co-founder of Thunderstorm Strategies, a digital marketing and communications firm focused on helping political campaigns and businesses develop and execute their digital strategy. Ooh. Before starting Thunderstorm, Coleco spent 10 years in the marijuana reform movement, starting out as an activist and intern the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, or NORML, before going on to run sales and marketing for various cannabis industry startups. He most recently served as Director of Marketing for National Cannabis Industry Association, overseeing their content team, and he is currently the Vice President of the Minority Cannabis Business Association, Aloha, everyone. Uh, it's a pleasure to connect. I appreciate you guys having me on for the inaugural episode here. Absolutely. We couldn't be more excited to welcome you, Coleco, and, and I'm impressed. I love the bio. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, I want to. I definitely want to start right into the, the, the whole point of a plan for this is that everybody's back on their heels, ready to rock forward and get off to the races. We're all feeling engaged. Donald Trump in 2016 definitely woke up a significant portion of the country. And since then, there's been enough unrest and the pandemic, the murders of George Floyd and the resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement in the summer of 2020. It all has politics front and center and everybody wants something to do. And you actually quit a job and are moving to another state to start organizing political campaigns. What's up with that? Yeah, well, no, I appreciate the setup. Um, you know, I've always been into politics. And so, like, for me, you know, as you said, this is sort of me finally getting to step into what I've always had as a dream. Um, you know, as a little background, um, I got into the cannabis industry because I wanted to get into politics, but smoked cannabis and was open about the need that, uh, or the idea that we needed to end federal prohibition. And at the time, I couldn't really be open about that on on social media and uh, apply for an Obama fellowship. So I ended up joining as an intern, uh, as you said, at the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws, which is the longest running and, and oldest lobbying organization on behalf of the cannabis uh, reform movement. And so I started off as an intern for them, um, you know, because like I said, I couldn't get into the mainstream politics. And now, you know, fast forward 10 years later, uh, through a lot of uh, trials and tribulations in our industry sort of you know, really having to organize in the digital age, um, which I know we'll talk about later, um, you know, we've been able to now become mainstream, right? We now have it to where, except for, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it Joe Biden, but uh, for the most part, our, in our, our industry and our, um, our movement is now taken seriously. And so now I'm into this position where I can take what I've learned uh, and my experiences in the cannabis reform movement and now apply those um, those lessons to the mainstream political world. We are so lucky to have that kind of experience. I don't know about you, Vince, but the, we we need Coleco. <laughs> we definitely need Coleco. I, I, we, when we were doing research somewhere, I saw a profile picture or something of you speaking um, with a U.S. House of Representatives seal. So like you've gotten to speak to Congress, you've lobbied in D.C. Go a little bit more back into, into what, what, what specific experiences the industry really opened or advocating for the industry really opened up for you. Yeah, I think for me, it was uh, more than anything, the, the biggest thing about the cannabis industry was that in the reform movement of my time and that was just understanding how small the world is. And I think it applies to sort of the mainstream political world as well, right? Like I got my start in the cannabis industry and sort of rode my journey because I showed up 
at a global cannabis march in 2010, met randomly the outreach director for Normal, who I got invited into a studio and ended up interning for. And so for me, the lesson was just showing up, right? I think my story is a really great example that like, if you just show up, it's half the battle. And then if you can show up on time, you're responsible, you're trustworthy, you're a good person, you have like a good attitude and you know, you're willing to pick up uh, where others may be needing, having trouble. Like those are the lessons I've, I've learned and what I think applies in life in general. But I do think the most important thing for anybody to learn getting into anything in life is that the world is actually smaller than it seems and just showing up will get you halfway there. Oh, that is so inspiring. And it kind of fits in what we want to talk about on every episode, which is that we all have a responsibility to make the big structural fun that we're talking about. Right, Vince? Absolutely. Like in every way. And plus, I mean, the just showing up narrative, I it's something that I harp on. Um, half of the argument is show up, just show up. And that's how Erin and I uh, got together was she just showed up for Team Warren and she showed up. I mean, you should share your experience more than I, but it's what has us here talking today. All three of us are just, we wanted to do it. We didn't know how to start doing it. And now we're starting to figure it out together. That's exactly right. And if I could just um, embarrass Vince for a second, he said something that is just so true in all walks of life. Um, you never want to put a stop in front of your energy. Uh, one of the conversations that he and I first had when I dreamt up this wonderful show was, what if it could happen? I know it probably can't, but, and he said, stop, you're stopping yourself. Don't put that in front of your beautiful energy. And listeners, we just want to communicate that to you as well. Coleco is a case study on what happens when you just follow what your heart and what your spirit and what your drive is telling you to do. Um, and if I could be so bold, Coleco, I really, I want to ask you if you have any views on where you see the, Demo the Democratic Party headed as a whole, because somebody with as much experience as you have, not only in ground game organizing, but also working with the established um, lobbying and policy writing, just like Vince, I'm sure that you have some views. And Coleco, let's, uh, let's lit lit litmus test you for our listeners here. That's fun to say. Let's litmus test you for our listeners here. Um, who'd you primary for? Who are you caucusing for this year? So we, so we know where you're landing right off the bat. Yeah, for sure. No, I definitely voted for Senator Bernard Sanders in the California primary this, this time around. But that being said, um, I was a monthly donor to Elizabeth Warren's campaign starting in June of 2019. So I gave her several hundred dollars over the course of the campaign, but ultimately uh, came down to casting my vote, vote for, for Bernie. I was the opposite. I gave Bernie money while I was uh, organizing for Elizabeth. So, <laughs> And you're both perfect examples for all of our listeners that Bernie doesn't hate Elizabeth and Elizabeth doesn't hate Bernie. Everyone's under the same umbrella fighting for that big progressive change, right? It's true. that yeah, yeah, The Democrats can't be a big tent, but we can. Exactly. Oh, burn. <laughs> yes. Um, I, so I think you kind of hear where we're headed with this question. But Kalika, what are view, your views on the Democratic Party at, at large right now? And whether the progressives want to go along for the ride, how that ride's going to look, go for it. Tell us, tell us what you're seeing. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate it. Um, I, Vince, I don't know if this was in your alley. Did you ever see the Goofy movie growing up? 
Of course I did. I can still do the perfect cast dance. All right, cool. So, you know, there's this point in that movie where uh, they're on the road trip. And for people who maybe haven't seen the Goofy movie, you know, Goof is taking his kid on a, on a road trip. And Max is trying to get to a Powerline concert, which is a different area than where his dad's trying to go, which is camping at Lake Destiny, Idaho, right? So there comes this crucial moment of the film where they're on the highway and uh, Goof is asking Max to like, he's the, the, you know, the, the navigator, like which way do we turn at this junction that's coming up? Uh-huh. And so like they come to the last second and Max ends up pulling them to the wrong side, but they, you know, they ended up barely making that junction. But I feel like that's where we're at right now. We're kind of careening towards a place where as a party, we need to make a decision which way we're going to go. Right. And so like, I do think that, you know, it's, it's interesting to see this sort of dynamic where obviously we all want Trump out of office. Like, no, like I, I would give up nearly anything for Trump to be out of office. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, we're at this interesting place where it seems, and based on what I saw of the DNC this week, um, and I didn't watch all of it. You know, I watched, you know, I tuned in for parts, saw some speeches, but you know, what I gathered from it is like, we're watching in a lot of ways, the infiltration of the quote unquote moderate Republicans, right? The so on like, the last of the weekends from the GOP. And so I, I think that it's interesting that we are, we're in a position where we want to bring them into the fold because we need to do whatever, whatever coalition wins in November, like is what we wanted to build. But I do think it's right. interesting that you have sort of the, the Joe Biden wing of the Democratic, the establishment wing of the Democratic Party trying to make good with any sort of semblance of what they think the GOP used to be. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we have this push from the left where, you know, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren like grew this massive grassroots movement that did awaken the, the voting public about what progressive values can mean in terms of policies and how they can in fact, be real candidates, not just fringy sort of candidates. And so um, I don't know where we're headed, but I think it's a really interesting place um, where as progressives, I would like to see us organize hardcore from within the Democratic Party um, so that we can try to outflank or at least out overpower some of these moderate Republicans, because I think we could see if progressives do not organize properly in the next two to four years, next couple of cycles, we could see two lockstep conservative parties. Right now, like there's a lot of people who talk about no difference between the GOP and the Democrats, but wait two or four years if we bring in more cases, right? If we keep like mm-hmm. inviting more Republicans, I think from a, and I'm sorry I'm going on a rant here, from, but from a strategic no. standpoint, the Democrats, if we as a party cared about power, which is what the Republicans care about, that's the bottom line across everything. We would be tying Donald Trump as an albatross to every Republican for eternity. The Republicans did that for us. Hold on, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just jump in here because it has to be pointed out that the Republican Party did that for progressives literally on Monday during their convention when they rolled out their policy platform that just said we are the party of Trump. We do what Trump says. We don't think independently. Trump say we do. Like, that's literally the, the the Republicans are the party of Trump. We don't have to like we don't have to we shouldn't have to make an effort to make that tie anymore. We're going to have to, which sucks. I guess, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that you have a lot of these quote unquote moderate Republicans and what you're talking about, like the Democrats becoming a compassionate conservative party. Mm-hmm. That like I, I I feel like what what I'm trying to say is that these 
not sure how I want to put it. I think I think these guys are, and that being like the Kasiches of the world, um, I just think that they're in a, in a place where they could massively affect the the outcome. And but they also are kind of Johnny Come Latelys that they yeah. they kind of came to this anti-Trump party well at the last second, and suddenly we have Project Lincoln within the last ten months before the election, right? But like, where were they right. in the prior four months? And so like that's I guess where I'm coming from is I would be more cautious about letting some of those folks into the Big Ten. I, uh, I've, I've just got something that kind of um, harmonizes with what you were saying, Coleco. And again, it's, it's a post on Twitter, but it is powerful. And I know a lot of people respond to it. Do we need your help to get rid of Donald Trump? Yes. But after that, and this is what I said, I'm going to remember how the Republican Party, not just Trump, tried to take health care, tried to take child care, tried to take protections from uh, pre-existing conditions for our health and wellness. Um, they tried to give money to the ultra-rich while many, many people are suffering and without jobs. So I'll remember all of those things. And then the quote was, I'll bury your party. So Coleco, I'm with you. I do not want to welcome in the Republicans to the Democratic Party as a whole. Do we need them now because we have a tyrant in power? Sure. Do we need them in 2021? No. I want them gone. I want the Democratic Party to be stronger and I want it to be full of progressives. Yeah, that army, army, army of progressives. We are recruiting an army of progressives to make sure that the left side of the Democratic Party continues to be heard. You can definitely help that right now. Every time I hear Lincoln Project, I always remind people to not give their money to Lincoln Project. They have enough already, but do contribute it to things like Pacronym or Act.TV. You can even go directly to your favorite down ballot um, candidates where you, we run through the endorsement list at the end of every episode, and we, we will help you, tell you, uh, help you figure out where to send your money. Uh, sign up for our newsletter when we launch that, and you will get... Uh, donation requests just sent directly to you. You don't even have to think. You can just go, oh, cool. I saw a Lincoln Project commercial. I laughed. Now I automatically go give my money to Cori Bush in Missouri. There you go. I love it, Vince. There couldn't be a better endorsement to make sure that progressives have the power. Cleco, there is definitely one thing that I want to hit on on that building of uh, the army of progression, uh, progressives, and it is about doing everything that you can do to, uh, to, to, to bring new voices, old voices, to build the coalition. Um, as a marketing professional, your expertise was digital strategy and a lot of social media building and, and just how to build that online personality and online environment that Donald Trump was allegedly brilliant for accidentally doing in 2016 because he had no other choice. Right now, you are uh, you, your your thunderstorm strategies is helping way behind the scenes on a statewide race in Oregon, and specifically, what you are doing is you are helping to target and build audiences, and uh, and and make sure that the correct message is hitting the correct person. What really brought you to doing this to uh, to help rebuild the progressive movement? Yeah, no, I appreciate the question. I just think in general, the Democrats, and I think you guys are probably in alignment with this. The Democrats just haven't necessarily been great at being a digital first party, right? And I think, um, you know, you talked about kind of Donald Trump kind of stumbled into it. But in general, the, the Republicans have always just kind of been better at media. They've always kind of been better about getting into sort of the, um, into the mainstream consciousness, I think, in terms of getting their ideas out there. And so for me, this is a chance for, for me to work with mainstream, uh, as well as progressive candidates, but mainstream candidates to help them get better about 
sort of digital organizing and digital messaging. And, you know, to your point, as a progressive, being able to work um, for, for candidates that may not be seen as, you know, the Bernie Sanders wing of the party, you know, it's helpful to bring progressive values and ideas inside of a campaign structure. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I'm already able to have conversations that I wouldn't expect to be able to have, you know, on the campaign that I'm on right now, uh, and able to push ideas that maybe weren't being pushed prior to me being in that room, right? So I do think this is similar to, you know, my work uh, doing diversity, equity, and inclusion stuff within the cannabis industry. It's also diversifying sort of the thought, you know, bubble in the sort of democratic establishment, right? The more that progressives can understand that it's okay to have a progressive value set and still be able to work with folks who may not be 100% aligned with you, but who you feel like you can have an open and honest conversation with and potentially move them on. I think that that's sort of my standpoint. I would much rather work from within an existing power structure and hope to make tweaks that I know will have ripple effects throughout that power structure rather than mm -hmm. yelling from outside the halls of power, hoping that it has some reverberation through those uh, marble walls. That's exactly right. And our favorite senator even says it. She says, push from the outside and I'll be on the inside helping you. So it, it's, it's really important to remember that we each have a responsibility. Um, and I do want to make sure that we thank Coleco so much, not just for your background, but for your passion, for your commitment, and, and just like we said, showing up. It's incredible. I'm inspired, and I really hope our listeners are too. Absolutely. Coleco, thank you so much for coming on. Just real quick, um, plug anything that you need to plug, and then we, uh, we're going to ask all of our guests to, uh, to, to, to shout out somebody on a down-ballot race somewhere that they are really loving right now who fits the progressive agenda, who everybody should go send $2 to right now while they're listening to the show. Absolutely. Awesome. Really appreciate the uh, the opportunity here and appreciate you guys having me on for your inaugural episode. Super pumped for you guys and congratulations on this launch. I do think it's super important. And I think thinking about the broader um, progressive movement that, you know, having our own media outlets and the ability to be able to put our own messages out into the world and to create our own sort of community points uh, is awesome. So I appreciate you guys taking that initiative. I don't really have anything to plug at this moment. Um, as you said, I, I left my job, launched this company, Thunderstorm Strategies. We literally don't even have a website yet. I ended up picking up a couple of clients before we even got to the point of launching a website, which I'm pretty pumped about. So congratulations on that. Yeah, that's not that's not normal, especially in this economy. Yeah, no, feel very fortunate. Appreciate it. Um, but yeah, if you guys want to follow me on Twitter, it's probably where I'm most active. It's just at WizCalico. It's a uh, Wiz and then K-A-L-I-K-O. Um, you know, I'm pretty active on there as it comes to political stuff, talking about marketing, also talk about reggae, uh, some history of the Hawaiian kingdom, as Vince uh, mentioned earlier. So all sorts of different eclectic stuff over there, but definitely feel free to reach out and follow me on, on Twitter. And then in terms of like sending some love to a down ballot race, um, you know, I am here in Vallejo, California right now. Um, and there is a gentleman running for mayor named Hakeem Brown. Uh, he's a city councilman, city, sitting city councilman, the only black councilman on on the council um born and raised here in vallejo um is a really awesome amazing story but he's been out here in the community really pushing to to change things and you know with all of this and i know you guys are going to talk about black lives matter here after this segment but with all of the sort of conversation around black lives matter vallejo kind of fall like flies under the radar in terms of like how it really is the epicenter 
for Black, Black Lives Matter. We have um, something known here in Vallejo is Vallejo's Fatal 14. It's 14 police officers who have had more than one, um, one officer-involved shooting, many of which were fatal. Um, those, four, those 14 had more than one fatal shooting um, and have not been fired, reprimanded, or otherwise prosecuted for any of that stuff. Um, so Vallejo has an epidemic of police, um, police brutality here. Um, Hakeem Brown is somebody running for mayor right now who I think people should support because he is one of the few community members who have been in the trenches for a long time. And he is getting some pushback from sort of the, the woke progressive crowd, which is why I want to bring this up, um, because he is somebody who historically was working with um, the police department and other stakeholders in the community to try to bring together the community to, to address, you know, high crime rates here um, and a lot of other systemic racial racism issues here. And because, yeah. you know, sort of this, this stuff post, um, you know, post the last few months, um, there are a lot of people out there because he's not in super reflexively calling for defunding completely of the police think that he should not be supported. But I do think in talking about sort of where do progressives line up with sort of mainstream elected officials, this is one of those places where it's, I agree with the idea of defunding the police. I agree with the idea of abolishing the police in a lot of ways. Um, but I also think from in terms of getting from here to that point, that they're going to take some sacrifices on our community to not always say we can't just immediately move to that. And some communities are going to need to, to, to direct that themselves. And I say all that to say that Hakeem Brown is somebody that I really do believe in, has the best interest of this community in mind, is a progressive Democrat. He's, a, he's on some committees for the, um, the Black Caucus here in the state of California for the Democratic Party, and otherwise is a really awesome community member. So if you guys could check him out as HakeemBrown.com, running for mayor here in Vallejo, California, it would go a long way to both help the progressive cause, but also help um, folks here in the community who are struggling from a police department um, that is wantonly uh, killing people and not being held accountable. See, and I took his name down because I'm gonna I'm gonna say something unpopular here, and I I love both of you, so we'll get that straight. Um, I am afraid of how much we've embraced the term defund and abolish, and it's because it feeds into the attacks that predictably come from the other side and are used in ads and campaign issues, etc. What I'm for, though, and I think we can all agree on this one, is action. I am so tired, and this feeds in perfectly to what I wanted to say about Black Lives Matter. I am so tired in the wake of the latest tragedy with Jacob Blake of seeing electeds, leaders up and down, and both parties just call for quote-unquote justice, this vague concept of what we need. I want someone who has actions. I want Elizabeth Warren. I want her end qualified immunity bill. I want oversight for police. I want to know what their background is. And if they have, like you said, Coleco, prior, um, prior unlawful shootings, prior um, uh, things on their record that besmirches them in the eyes of the law, they need to be fired. There's none of this, you know, call for justice in a vague concept without investigations, arrests, and proceeding with law. Um, it, it's just my two cents on it, but I, I want to see things change. I just can't see other innocent people get killed, and I don't think I'm alone on this.
definitely looking forward to having this conversation. Coleco, um, we're going to take a break before we do it, but please, if you, if you want to, you're more than welcome to, to stick around and, and, and have it. In the meantime, though, I did pull up Hakeem's website. It is super duper easy to find his donate button. It is a little bit weird because it's not Act Blue, so it threw me through a threw me through a loop for about a half second. But I have already contributed to his race now. Uh, let's get Vallejo fixed, everybody, and let's get progressives in office. Here, here. Appreciate that, Vince. Yeah, thanks so much. And I'll definitely hang around to the other side just in case you guys still want to keep chatting. All right, we'll see you soon. Race matters. Call it out and fight back. The path to economic security is steep and rocky for millions of working people in America. And it is steeper and rockier for black and brown Americans. We will not stand silently by and be a party to perpetuating discrimination for another generation. The days when our criminal justice system grinds up black people and destroys communities of color must come to an end. We need criminal justice reform, real reform, and we need it now. People of color have been systematically denied the most basic American right, the right to vote. Call it out and fight back. We need a constitutional amendment establishing an unquestioned, unassailable, nationally recognized right to vote and right to have your vote counted for every American citizen. Call it out. Then make change, real change, structural change, honest change. It comes to us. Welcome back, everyone. I just wanted to get back into the all-important discussion that we're having about the Black Lives Matter movement, and most importantly, what can be done. I know that if many of you are feeling as frustrated and as stymied as I am, Vince, who has had personal ground game experience and on action, um, will have some information for you, as well as possibly even a personal experience to share or two. We so appreciate you, Vince, and your non-shakable demand for action. Please tell us all about it. Well, you know, I'm a kid of the Obama era for sure, so he convinced us that change was possible and that yes, we can. So I'm out in the streets every night seeing if we can. Um, and by no means am I one of the uh, one of a, a leader or anything like that. But I have been showing up and I have been listening and. Um, and years ago, um, a, a really brilliant organizer here in, in Colorado named Carrie Joy told me to get my people. And, uh, and so for the last three years, I have just been talking to white people as much as I possibly can about the movement for black lives, trying to, trying to remove some of the conspiracy and some of the you know, just absolute lies that have been thrown at it, remind people that a lot of the, uh, the language of the oppressor that is being used to shut down the movement for black lives was also used to, against Dr. King and, and people who those humans would hold up and, 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 and you know, idolize and who, and who they love. Um, so, but I am, I'm, I'm very eager to be able to bring what I've learned to, um, to our audience and, uh, please get at me on Twitter at Vinny Chant with any feedback, criticisms, any way that I can grow. Um, I'm always eager to listen. I'm always eager to learn and, and, and Lord knows this work is never done and, uh, and, and, and we're always learning. Um, real quick, I, I do want to say out loud the name, uh, Trayford Pellerin. Um, I might be saying it wrong. It might be French and be Trayford Pellerin. 
but um, he is the uh, he is the 31 year old black man who was shot in Lafayette, Louisiana, and killed by the police uh, on Sunday night, the same night that uh, Jake Blake was shot and uh, seven times in the back in um, in Kenosha. And uh, I, there are mixed reports right now that he is making a full recovery or is making a recovery but is paralyzed from the waist down. But two absolutely senseless. Uh, acts of police violence against black men again in this country. Um, I was personally at a, uh, at a party, um, a, an actual celebration of life for, uh, for Breonna Taylor and, uh, and Elijah McClain here in Colorado. We had a caravan from Kentucky drive a thousand miles so the two communities can hold vigil and, and walk together because this is the one year anniversary of the Aurora Police Department brutally murdering uh, 22 year old Elijah McClain. And uh, we were having line dances and a celebration of life. And as we were leaving, we were getting the reports of, uh, of, of these two fresh new wounds. And it's just a constant reminder that this is an uphill fight and, and, and people need to be involved and people need to get out there. Um, I've been looking around at, uh, at, at, at actions lately and um, I have been seeing numbers dwindling as, as overinflated reports of property damage and, and, and just things that are being blown out of proportion and also aren't a big deal in light of, you know, what's going on at a larger level. Um, as those increase, we're seeing less and less allies and accomplices showing up at actions and it's an absolute problem. But I also have a very limited view in here in Colorado, even though I'm on the ground every day. Um, I, uh, well, not every day, as off every day that I can be. Um, I want to hear a little bit um, from Coleco about the, the scene in California, and then he's about to move back to Portland, which uh, here in Denver we call the front lines of, of the movement right now. So um, what, what, what is your view on the Black Lives Matter movement right now in California, West Coast? Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with you in terms of like the dwindling numbers. You, you also see it out here. Um, you know, I think it just speaks to the idea that this is a lifelong struggle. This is not something that we're just going to magically reach the end of the line for, right? This is like you know, for everyone, it's a lifelong struggle for obviously for black and brown people who are, you know, um, disproportionately impacted by policing, um, as well as for white folks being able to examine their, their whiteness and their place in sort of the systemic racist structure that exists here in the, this country. I do think that like, you know, I can understand why we kind of go through this ebb and flow where the, you know, the, the attention is really high at the point where we have these tragedies brought to our to our face, but you know there are plenty of other tragedies beyond those that we don't see, um, and that sort of speaks to the need for this sustained movement. And I think also, um, you know, something we talked on on the other side of the break is, you know, the way to find the finding a way to make this a political winner, um, because that's ultimately what this comes down to, right? Like we're talking about the emotional side of the trauma that you know the black and brown community is is experiencing. But we all, what we also have to do is like, what is the real world strategy and tactics that we can use to actually get to a place where you aren't afraid to just drive down your street as a black or brown person um, because you may get pulled over and potentially killed for something as little as a, you know, maybe a counterfeit $20 bill. I, I want to jump in because that is so important and, and I want to get your um, feedback on the idea that the Biden administration would put forth a police oversight administration, like a like a committee that would oversee the police. Um, if that actually comes to fruition, there's kind of some 
backtracking with certain things that he's also said. Um, but if that came through to fruition, that is something that I, I would get behind. Um, for instance, if there was an officer who was found to have a white supremacist group in his Facebook community or, or what have you, um, he could not be an officer. That person could not have a badge. Um, just simple steps that need to be done. Uh, police records opened, past infractions looked at. Um, if it's a serious infraction of the law, you're fired. Um, the shootings need to have immediate arrests. I, I, I don't know why these people are still walking the streets on what they call administrative leave. Um, and Coleco, I, I think we're speaking the same language here on how we can get some movement going, correct? For sure. I think oversight and accountability are definitely warranted and needed. And I think for police departments across the, the country that are, you know, subject to potential local corruption issues, uh, that they need yeah. to be overseen by the Department of Justice. But I also think that it's a framing and a philosophical thing that we have to come to grips with as a society. And that is that police do not lower crime rates. Police right. only respond to crime. They don't stop crime. And so the, the conversation like, that sits at the core of the idea about defunding the police, quote unquote, is the idea of reinvesting in the community, right? Correct. We have, we have cut school budgets at its, and, and increased police budgets. Like what is going to be the natural result of that? You're going to have people who are like, less able to pull themselves up the sort of economic ladder and they're going to be like, more desperate. It leads to more crime. Like, we just have to be thinking like, holistically how do we make our communities safer and also understand that that the answer is not more police. Like yeah. the, it, like if anything, it's always, yeah. Like to your point, Vince, like it's something that's going to be lowered because you necessarily need to move the dollars that have been spent on badges and guns to other places like mental health services you know, job training programs, education, those are the things that are going to lift up a community and make the jobs ultimately easier on police. And I think that's another framing thing that we have to talk to about police. Like the idea of defunding is not just because we hate police. It's A, we right. want to make the community safer. And B, we need to make their jobs easier because currently as a society, we put it all on the police to take care of. We decide we're not going to make the investments in our community and that ultimately the police are the ones that have to deal with it. So there's some empathy that does have to be like heard or understood for the police too in the place, the, the tough predicament that they're put on. But then ultimately that blame comes back to the voters and our elected officials because we're the ones who are setting up that system. I hear, I hear you and I want to tag on and I know you guys will agree as well that I, I personally do not see the need in any city in this great nation for police to have military grade equipment such as tanks, Uzis and the like. I just it, it blows my mind. I don't understand why we give them that equipment. I don't understand why we fund that kind of equipment. I was almost run over by a Denver Police Department tank not two nights ago. So I, I definitely cannot agree with you more. I will say that um, I, I'll, I'll definitely let you two feel the empathy for the police departments um, uh, because I think that it's true that while they have way too much power, they have also been very eager to grab and maintain that power and build nothing but a stick mentality for, um, for improving our society, which has obviously epically failed. Um, 
and, 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 but, but finding pragmatic and real solutions to the problem is going to be the only way out of this. And like anything else, I, I, I think it's, I mean, we see it's going to be a multifaceted, multi-pronged approach. Um, the, the, the overseers for the overseers is definitely a very good idea. Um, although it has to come with a lot of a lot of reform, as you as, as you mentioned as well, which includes ending qualified immunity, which is definitely yeah. possible through a legislative process. It's it was in Senator Warren's plan here in um, Colorado. My state representative, Representative Leslie Harrod, got um, got Senate Bill twenty two seventeen. I mean, she it was a House bill first that she did a lot of the legwork on with a lot of other people involved to get SB twenty two seventeen. Our Police Accountability Act passed. Um, back in uh, May, June, right at the height of the, uh, the George Floyd uh, demonstrations. And it really just goes to, to demonstrate how much is possible to reform this broken system at a legislative uh, uh, level if, 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 if the people are willing to push our elected officials and also to elect elected officials who are willing to go out and put the work in to fix it. And, um, and I actually, we have a clip that uh, that I want to that I want to play real quick. Um, I'm at these actions. I'm at these movements um, uh, as often as I can be. Uh, unfortunately, they happen multiple times a day at this point uh, around Denver because either a new a new name is is added or um, as uh, civil rights leader Tay Anderson is very fond of, of, of reminding people, we would like people to care about Black Lives before they're a hashtag as well. So um, we are we are out there as often as we can, just advocating for it. Um, but Representative James Coleman uh, here, who represents uh, Northeast Denver uh, at the state level, um, he, he spoke at one of the actions the other night. Uh, it was uh, the caravan for, for Breonna Taylor's uh, community that came out from Lexington. And uh, they're the group that holds down most of, the, uh, most, of the, most of the noise and injustice square there down in, uh, in Lexington. They, they drove all the way across the country, more than 1,000 miles, to stand in solidarity with Elijah McLean's mom and, uh, and our community out here. And uh, it was at the Colorado Capitol, and Leslie Harrod and a couple of other electeds came down. And, uh, and this is what James had to say about what's going on right now. America's already forgotten. We've already forgotten about George Floyd. We've already forgotten about Breonna Taylor. We've already forgotten about Elijah McClain. America has, but we haven't. I want to commend you all for continuing this work. Because as a black man and as black people, we know that every time somebody loses their lives, we have rallies, we have protests, we have a shift in the culture of America, and then we forget until the next person gets killed. But not this time. We passed a bill that we've been trying to get passed for 40 years in Colorado. But we did that because of the dynamic outside of the building. It wasn't us. You have to have the courage to be able to go in and do the work. But it's the people outside of the building that put that pressure on the folks inside of this building to make sure that we got it done. And it's not enough to get a bill passed. Next time one of your elected officials tell you they got a bill passed, ask them how it's doing. Ask him if it's being enforced. Ask him if it's being implemented. So that's Representative James Coleman here in Colorado, who, um, what it was, it rocked me 
to my core to hear that. And um, it followed a speaker who reminded the crowd that Harriet Tubman probably got tired too, but she never took a night off because she was fighting for black lives. And here, hundreds of years later, we're still continuing her fight. And um, I'm so happy to have this podcast because progressives show up. We, we hear the call. I wanted to clap while he was talking. It was so moving and so truthful. And just speaking truth to power is something that we desperately need. And that is why I am wholeheartedly in the progressive movement, even as a recently awakened political person. Um, I know what's right and what's wrong. Even if I don't know all of the ins and outs of political campaigns, I can tell you, I want leaders who lead. I want leaders who listen to me and to people like me and to the black and brown communities that are suffering. I don't want leaders who listen to their pocketbook. I don't want leaders who are scared because their Wall Street donors may not back them if they come out for something that's uh, revolutionary, something that's, quote, controversial. And I've been watching since the the inception of this dumpster fire administration that masquerades as a presidency and is actually a crime spree. And the people more often than not, in fact, I'd say nine out of 10 times that speak out that call for action that don't just restate how awful and horrible everything is are progressives. So when you see the people who are speaking out and getting completely trashed on right-wing television and corporate agenda media, just know they're getting trashed because they're trying to do what you've asked them to do. And I'm going to continue to elect people like that. And I really hope that you'll join us here on a plan for that to get the ground game going and put progressive people in power. That's what this show is going to be all about, everybody. We are going to explore the language inside of defunding the police and abolishing the police continually throughout this podcast forever until it starts to happen um, in, in places. I know that I, I'm really actually happy to hear that Erin is not in a place right now where she likes that language because um, uh, an abolitionist uh, here in Colorado, Elizabeth Epps, likes to remind people that um, for some places, Camden, New Jersey, it has absolutely worked defunding and abolishing problematic police departments and replacing them with something has to work, but we have to be able to take the sensible steps to get there, which definitely includes setting up um, independent uh, oversight, advisory boards, passing um, important legislation like Senate Bill 2217 here in Colorado or Senator Warren's. Uh, take on the Police Accountability Act, ending qualified immunity. We need police officers in this country to be held accountable. We need to stop state-sanctioned violence on our black and brown neighbors. 100%. <laughs> One thing I would plug here before you guys end up wrapping up is for anybody who's like on this journey about like envisioning what a potential world would look like if we quote unquote abolish the police, I am in the process of reading this really awesome book called The End of Policing um, by mm -hmm. Alex S. Vital. Um, it's a very good book. Um, I definitely suggest that people check it out and just learn more about the history and also the way it's done in some other places as well. I'm going to aggressively co-sign that book. It is, it is absolutely fantastic. And obviously, if you haven't read The New Jim Crow yet, go read The New Jim Crow as well. 
All right, sounds good. I'm going to check both of those out. And I want to make sure that we thank Coleco again, not just for who you are, but what you do each and every day to put forth the power in the progressive movement to help teach and educate people who may or may not be already at our table, but who are at least willing to listen to what it is that we have to say. Amen. Yeah, Kalika, you are the absolute best. Thank you so much for joining uh, us. Um, I bet a lot of you are like staring at yourself like, but what do I do now? How do I go out and do it? Um, the most important thing, as Kalika mentioned earlier in the show, is show up, start, start finding out where to be and how to be there and just go. I'm really fond of saying uh, get there. Don't try to lead. Don't try to speak. Don't even necessarily try to aggressively participate, but go four or five times. Your instincts will take over and you'll organically find yourself. You'll find your role in this. This is a people powered revolution. And, uh, and you know, you're a people go power it. We're going to take the opportunity also while uh, another way to, to get into action is to speak with your pocketbook or to um, organize locally for digital phone banking or postcard writing. So we want to always mention who our endorsements are right now. The Warren Democrat endorsements going, uh, going on right now officially are Angie Craig. She's in Minnesota's 2nd District. Um, Kasim Rashid in Virginia first, uh, Cindy Axey in Iowa's third, uh, Gil Cisnernos in the California's 39th, Elon Omar in Minnesota fifth, uh, John Hoadley in Michigan sixth, Dana Balter in New York 24th, and J.D. Schulten in Iowa's fourth are uh, who the Warren Democrats are loving this week. Aaron, who are you sending money to or organizing for this week? I'm so glad that you brought that up. Just before I get to my list, I want to make sure that I give a shout out to our listeners who might not have had a pen ready at the hand, kind of like myself, um, you can always subscribe. In fact, we want you to, to our plan for that podcast so that we can in the future go ahead and blast these lists out on a biweekly, perhaps more often basis. That way you can have these names at the ready and be willing to take action and get those people in power so that we can start to bring the change that we so greatly, greatly need. Um, As for me, I am contributing monthly to Senate races. Uh, I am also contributing to the Warren Democrat um, uh, endorsed candidates up and down the ballot. Um, And that can be found at ElizabethWarren.com. Um, You can actually search in your area to see who it is that is running and that has been endorsed by our progressive leader, Elizabeth Warren. Um, As far as why I'm contributing to the Senate, I believe the Senate is everything. They are getting my my money monthly, and I have to swing the Senate. I know that there's a lot of you out there who are with me, so thank you so much for that. Um, I do also want to get a shout out for our next guest that's coming up on our next episode, Karen Sung. Karen Sung is our ground game expert, and this is perfect tie-in because she'll be leading into the key races that she's been watching as well. She has things down to the legislator um, level in the state uh, state elections races, and she's going to help us to elect that army of progressives as well as telling us all about her unbelievably amazing background. As always, uh, I I am uh, also supporting uh, Brother Jeff's Cultural Center here in Denver. Uh, they are uh, just an amazing, incredibly cool uh, um, uh, uh, resource for for the community. But also, um, Brother Jeff does a near daily show on Facebook that I definitely suggest you go check out and subscribe and uh, and support their Patreon. Send money to them. 
um, send money to PACRONIM because we need independent big money, uh, speaking for our progressive uh, candidates at, at every level. Um, that's all I have this week. Erin, anything else you want to wrap up with? That's all. I just want to thank Coleco again. And boy, I, I am excited. I'm ready for our next step. And I know our listeners are too. We can all do this if we work together. And let's bring progressives back to power and have some big structural fun, Vince. Also, make sure that you're following along with the show. We are Plan For That Pod on Twitter. Uh, we don't have a website yet, but we are in the middle of launching it. And when we do, you will be able to sign up for our newsletter and stay in touch with the endorsements there. Um, just make sure that, uh, and uh, hit subscribe. Please review and share the show. Reviewing it helps uh, get us elevated in the in the, uh, the store where you happen to be downloading us from. And sharing us with your friends makes for the big structural fun. You don't want to go do this alone. You want to do it with them. So we're all building this. It's going to take all of us getting in here together. Let's go do it. Our army of progressives is on the way. Heck yeah, it's a progressive party. Let's go. Let's go.